Hello and welcome to Marshall Matters with me, Winston Marshall, at the Spectator offices in London. In this series, I've been exploring freedom of expression in the creative industries. And today I'm joined by indie, pop, rock, folk legend, American lo-fi legend, Ariel Pink. Ariel has released, I think, about 20 albums, collaborated with the likes of Miley Cyrus, Azealia Banks, and has quite a remarkable music career, which last year took rather a surprising turn as a consequence of Ariel attending the January 6th Trump rally, although he's been very clear to say not the Capitol Hill storming that happened afterwards. Ariel, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Winston. Happy to be here. Um, so I know these things can be very emotional and the, the experience of, to use the, the parlance of the day, being cancelled is very stressful. And you lost really everything in attending the Trump rally. It wasn't long, as far as I understand it, that you had over 130 articles smirching you. You were dropped from your record label by text message no less, uh, you had sexual abuse accusations. You just had it all coming at you. Can you take us to that day and tell us your, your sort of side of the story of that experience? Yeah, I'm happy to. It was really a, it was a normal day. It was a little field trip that I had sort of planned last minute with, uh, with my friend John and he had an extra ticket for flights. So him and his wife and, and me, flew out there. I, I took care of the Airbnb while we were out there. We arrived in DC, like countless others, to attend the Trump rally. That was at the White House lawn. We woke up the, that morning to, to go see Trump sort of say his final words, I guess. I mean, we didn't know what, you know, there wasn't an expectation, at least not on my part, that like, you know, anything was going to uh, be changed in the electoral count or anything like that. I mean, that Mike Pence had not declared the count yet so so that was supposed to happen on that day and, and i suppose uh the ongoing narrative and the argument on the left side is that you know people that were in attendance in washington dc that day that were there for trump were there to impede that process and so as far as i knew that wasn't the case i mean i didn't think that there was the stop the steel rally there were, there were all these different uh groups of people that were that were protesting but you know people protest. And so there was nothing odd about that. From what I understand, everybody, it was a totally authorized event. It, there were licenses and clearances for all these people. So I thought that, you know, when I attended the White House lawn, there was a lot of people in the streets, obviously, but there was a, you know, there was like a security kiosk and you had to go through a line. It was like going to, to a concert, you know, it was, it was really, it was official. There was security. So there was nothing untoward about it. It felt felt very organic and very, very uplifting, if anything. There were a lot of people there. Every sort of walk of life, they were there. You know, it's predominantly white, I would say, a big contingent of white people. But I think that that's probably going to be the case for most uh, political rallies that you go to. There were certainly other races. That's a big trip to do. Were you there because you were interested and curious to see what was going on? Or were you going as a supporter of Trump? Were you going just because it was your friend invited you and why not something to do? 
I was always been very, very loud about my thoughts on Trump. I mean, I really, I, I was very supportive of him. I thought he did a very good job for a person that wasn't supposed to be there. When I say that was, wasn't supposed to be there, I mean that like, you know, they didn't want him to be there. And there was, you know, all the politics involved were designed to sort of like, you know, reduce the chances of somebody like him being able to be there. But he was supposed to be there in the sense, you know, he, he won the election and he he's an, emblematic of what you can do in this country if you put your mind to it. And it's really not like, you know, walled off for anybody. And I mean, people can become president. They can have that dream when they're younger and they can do that. It's not a royal thing. It's not an intellectual thing. There's no uh, proper type of person that should be that. I think that there's qualities that, you know, obviously resonate with people. And I think that what resonated with people with Trump is that, well, first of all, the options were, were what we had for the past 30 years. And we knew that that wasn't working out. We'd experienced 9-11. We experienced the, the bailouts, the housing market crash of 2008. We'd seen Occupy Wall Street. We'd seen all the things that basically that side had done. And they wanted to continue their, their reign, essentially. By they, you mean the Democratic establishment or the establishment, generally speaking? The Democratic political establishment. And I mean, it, that includes the Republican side to the establishment, you know, I mean, I mean, Bush, you know, what I'm talking about all the way as far back, I wouldn't even consider uh, George Bush Sr. as being part of that regime. I would say his son was, I would say it started all with the Clintons. When Bill Clinton went into office, I think he like, he did a re reshuffling of the deck and really, and that's where we've been. We, I mean, we, I think a lot of the same people are there. So you say you were very vocal and, and loud in supporting Trump before. So you must have then experienced some sort of pushback in the music industry or in the creative industries for your opinions. No, the pushback wasn't there. That's what was so alarming about it, because I think that the pushback might have been behind closed doors. There might have been, you know, people talking like, oh, well, what is he doing? He's crazy or whatever. I, I don't know. I wasn't there. But at least to my face... It wouldn't have been seen as uh, prudent to, to have any problem with somebody's political opinion. Yeah. To be that sort of like opinionated or like to like cancel them on those grounds flat out. But I, I think it was enough of a, an anachronism to have a musician coming out as pro-Trump that like, you know, there, there sort of wasn't any kind of like standard way of addressing that in a way publicly. Well, it's kind of peculiar because actually there's a lot of musicians who are pro-Trump. That's an interesting aspect of it because, you know, everybody knows that, like, you know, Nashville has had to, uh, they've had to be bedfellows with Hollywood entertainment industry, you know, and it's uh, it's an uncomfortable marriage, you know, I think that the pop music world, which is like, uh, you know, I would say Tinseltown and Hollywood, it sort of like took over and really kind of like, you know, Music City USA in Nashville was really the, the epicenter of, of country and all that kind of stuff for for good part of the last century and then it sort of just had to, to sort of join forces at some point maybe with around shania twain or something I, I don't know where it was probably before that it was probably like around you know dolly parton or something like that but actually dolly parton's a good person to because she's she was an unconventional probably wouldn't have made it in nashville had it just been nashville but i don't know so just rewinding for listeners can you take us through the experience of what you lost having been at that trump rally and what were the repercussions on your career as a consequence of your attendance 
And, and then I'd like to ask about why, if you didn't attend the Capitol Hill storming, what about your attendance of the rally is so offensive or has been so offensive? What do you put down the single factor of why you've experienced what you've experienced? What is it? Is it simply support for Trump? Or is it because they can't detach attending the rally from Capitol Hill? So what did I lose? Well, I lost my uh, record deal right away, like just right away without any questions asked. That's not a big deal. That would have been fine. But they also, not only did they drop me, but it was, it was tantamount to basically like saying that I was there. It basically like these articles came out just claiming that I was somewhere that I wasn't and claiming that like it didn't matter that I wasn't there there. They didn't really care. I mean, the, the, the media, the liberal media was so in a, they're having their moment. They really wanted this to be the linchpin to get Trump and to like basically make him wholly just illegitimate from now on. They, they, the goal was to basically be, you know, have him not run in 2024. So they needed a moment like this. It's kind of like a serendipitous, wonderful stroke of good luck that this happened because this is this was the thing that they could die on. They could use this. That's why we're seeing the hearings now. The media was so was prepared for that too. You know, they were they were tipped off. They were all the cameras and all the press were at the Capitol prepared for what was going to happen there. The rally, which had hundreds of thousands of people, was not being covered, really. I mean, there was no cameras where I was. And I had taken note about that. I was just like, well, that's amazing. And we're just walking around here. There's no CNN buses, no no journalists, no nothing like that. No no coverage of it. I mean, there's some that was up on the, on the bleachers covering Trump's uh, speech a little bit. But I thought that that was, those weren't the networks or anything like that. Anyway, but they were there. They were just a mile away and getting ready for the main event as far as they were concerned, because that was what they thought was the main event, was whatever was going to happen at Congress or at the Capitol building. And you've explicitly condemned the Capitol Hill storming yourself, or I've read that you have. There's certainly a phenomenon to see so many artists experiencing either being censored or self-censorship to protect their careers. If any type of personality type or traits who are going to hurt the most from holding themselves back and not expressing themselves, it's the artist. So it's particularly been curious over the last couple of years, seeing that it's other artists silencing artists because they should be able to relate more than anyone to that feeling. Artists don't censor other artists. I mean, it's the medium that, you know, we created the internet to get around issues like censorship that would come from top down from the government. I mean, we, we made the internet, the idea of the internet, the whole thing is, is against censorship. It was a way to get around those obstacles, you know, of having to sort of like, you know, deal with the industry that was corrupt already and all this kind of stuff. And the internet was this place where you could do that. And of course, you know, that's, that's a pipe dream. And we knew that it was going to be used in a bad way the longer it was around. But, but in principle, it, it's sort of like, you know, embodies the American dream or, you know, the, the West Coast dream, even, you know, the, as liberal as they come, you know, I mean, this is this, this place was, was not policed. It was, the internet was a, was a way to, if they had a plan to censor us, if they thought the media was always on their side, we had this other plan. And so, and, and every, and that's still the idea more or less, but now it's just, they're not even having the conversation. They're just basically speaking right past you. They're not listening. If they take you down, they just take you down. They don't need to explain it. It's, it's a fascistic, uh, it's a weapon now. It's a completely 
evil weapon? Ariel, the question that I can't answer in my head, which I wonder if you have insight to, which is if 74 million people voted for Trump, i.e. more than anyone who's ever run for president with the exception of Biden, which now that was 47%, or roughly 47% of your country, that many people support Trump and you support Trump. How is it with basically half the country supporting Trump that you have lost everything? It doesn't make sense to me that you, you have faced the brunt of the sort of anti-Trump derangement syndrome. Why, why have you faced that and not, let's say, John Mouse, who was with you then? Why, why has it come for Ariel Pink, unlike anyone else? I'll tell you why. Well, for one thing, I was a mark, I, I think, for a while prior. I think that, like, you know, I'd made it known what my feelings were about Trump for, for years. And so that sort of got everybody uh, ready to sort of like put their, their arrows in their quiver and that, and that kind of thing. I mean, they were chomping at the bit, you know, in behind closed doors, obviously. Like, I mean, I think that like the people that run these, these tech platforms and all these kinds of stuff and, and people that like, you know, journalists or whatever, I, I think that there are these, these conversations that are had and, and it seemed like, you know, that there was a sort of a consensus that like, you know, Ariel's a Trump supporter, you know, he's an Ariel. I mean, the, the, the discussion basically like had, had already happened and so they, it didn't surprise them. They, you know, well, gotcha. He's there. He was there. He's there. And I don't think that they had that with, with John. I don't think that, the, I think John was a surprise for them. And I think that they were just, uh, they probably just thought, I don't know what they think, but, but really it was just for the headlines, mind you, you know, I mean, the, they wanted to scandalize it. They wanted to make it a scandal. They wanted to make Trump completely illegitimate. They wanted to make him a terrorist. They wanted to make Trump supporters terrorists. Now, how do they do that? They did that by completely ignoring the facts. You have to understand that there's like this elitist class and that includes journalism. There's like a, it's like a strata of like in the cities and in the West coast and in the East coast and then, you know, in the, in the cities, but it's really this gatekeeping class that is now aligned with, with the left. They don't have contact and they do not listen to, I mean, they, they hate Fox news. They think of it. It's been, you can read it in time, time magazine. You can read what they think in Newsweek these articles explain it all. I mean, they, throughout Trump's presidency, they, they were, they were really pumping up the rhetoric and they were, they were just saying, you know, you can't be friends with your friends if they're Republican. It's time to like, basically cut the cord. We cannot support anybody that we cannot support fascism. We cannot support racism as if they ever supported that before, as if anybody that like they were friends with was a racist, as if being, a conservative or a Trump supporter ever meant that you were racist prior to this. Never did. You wouldn't be friends with them if, if they were. But this, this was like a call. These were like direct Maoist or like, you know, almost Khmer Rouge style types of revolt. Of sort. You know, these were like, they unleashed Antifa on us, you know? I mean, like, I mean, I mean it's, it, this is a Soros style psyop. <laughs> you could definitely say there's a point. I was in the States for the Trump election in New York. And before that election, Trump was hosting Saturday Night Live, still very much, you know, you could talk about Trump, you could have conversations about him. And after the election, it was like he was a disease that needed to be, you know, cut out. It was a big, it was a big faux pas. What was more outrageous was that the media probably put him in the office. I mean, they probably, you know, it was kind of like a, the Streisand effect or whatever, you know, where they hated him so much 
and they were so in unison. I mean, this and before he became president, you know, Fox was just as outraged by him. They, they, there was you couldn't say that like anybody was really on his side on, in the media outwardly. He didn't have I mean, even the conservatives, you know, like, but what, what they were doing was not telling the, the news. They were not giving us the facts. I mean, to a certain degree, they couldn't avoid the fact that like, you know, he was still in the running with Hillary all the way to the very end. But keep in mind, the entire time they're saying that, they're saying there's no way he can win. Polls show that. And that's why it was, even Julian Assange was, was saying, you know, if Trump won, he would personally, like, you know, he would turn himself in. He was saying that thinking that, like, you know, there's no way that Trump would win. I mean, so everybody was convinced that Trump wouldn't win. So that when he won, it was kind of a complete travesty. And that's because the news and journalism in general was shown to be a complete farce. It was, it was bought and paid for by the Democratic Party. It was complete. It was shown the whole thing was basically unmasked in the campaign and in the run up to his, his election. And that's what was shocking was that like that the news could tell you that there's no way that he could win, that every single poll said that he wouldn't win, that everybody was that there was no way that he could win and that Hillary is a done deal. And so, you know, and I was just, you know, somebody who was didn't have skin in that game and was just like watching. And I was just like, they're going to give him the presidency just by talking about him this much. I mean, if they wanted to get rid of him, they could have just given him the, the Bernie Sanders treatment and not covered him. So now in Biden's America, what's the atmosphere? Has it calmed? What's it like for you out in California? Well, for me, I mean, it's been an ongoing thing and it's obviously been like, yeah, I've got like a pain in my chest, you know, every day because of the, the trauma, I guess. It was just a very, very uh, surprising thing, you know, to sort of like learn that everybody, most of my friends, most of the people that I know, all the contacts that I had in the industry, I can't go to, to bars, I can't go to certain places. Okay. So anywhere that I'm recognized, really, I can't go to restaurants. Because you are a Trump supporter? No, because the employees don't feel safe. There's no elaboration on it. It's fascistic. I mean, it's a totalitarian thing. Everybody's taking, this is the thing. Nobody wants to be the one to, to ruffle, you know, everybody's basically trying to uh, avoid a scandal. They don't want to have to like lose followers or lose customers. For them, it's a business deal. That's their excuse is that it's a, it's kind of like the same, the same mentality that's having all these companies go woke and the sustainability ESG stuff. You know what I'm saying? It's all these, uh, sustainability and diversity, equity, inclusion, all, all that stuff is like, is just been, you know, swallowed hook, line and sinker here, and especially in LA. This is a shocking portrait of modern America that you're painting for supporting a presidential candidate who got 47% of the vote. You are not only lost a hell of a lot of work, but you're, you're blacklisted from even going to bars and venues in your hometown. My hometown. I could not attend. I mean, I, I, my friends will invite me. I still have people that, you know, still talk to me, of course, you know, and, and, and in secret, they'll say, you know, of course, I don't care about that stuff, you know, and they have a show and they invite me to perform even and or like, you know, make an appearance on stage, to do something. And I'm like, well, maybe you want to check with the uh, with the venue first. And they're like, they're like, OK, I mean, I, we can, we, you know, like I, maybe we'll bring you in with the crew or something like that. And I'm like, well. You might want to check with the venue. I don't want to. I don't want to be put in that position personally. I don't want you to be put in that position. It's just kind of humiliating for me because I, this, I'm so used to this. And then they text the owners and whatever, and then, then the owners get back and they're just like, "Yeah, we're gonna have to say no." And has anyone specifically, any venue specifically, done that? Zebulon, 
Zebulon in, in LA, um, Salazar restaurant. Basically, I don't want people basically sneaking me in behind the scenes. I don't want to do that. I don't want to have to tiptoe. I want to go somewhere where I have you know the right to stay there. And I want to be just a, a, a regular uh, person there. And I don't want to go there and discover that like, you know, somebody complained and I had to leave. That's, that's not what I'm, I'm about. And I don't want to, it's not fun for me. I want to be supportive. What about your music? Are you able to carry on? I can't get concerts. I cannot, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I am so canceled and nobody cares, but that's fine. You know, woe is me. But you know what, what is it? Nobody cares that much. Nobody cares enough to put their own ass on the line for it. That's what it comes down to. I think that's the conundrum is that, you know, I wouldn't have gone if I didn't feel some sense of urgency about it. I wouldn't have voted for Trump if I didn't think that it was like completely crucial. I mean, it was just because I saw what was already happening to my friends and the Democratic Party and to like the people that I know. And I saw that what was going on. I saw their, their mentality. They were just so. And I said, you know what? Even if these people wanted to not vote for Biden, they, they couldn't say that. There's nobody in Hollywood that's coming out and saying they're pro-Trump. They can't do that. That's weird. You know, I should be able to like, you know, vote for Trump even, you know, for my own reasons, just because like, hey, just because I, because I don't care. Just because it was a joke. Even, you know, it doesn't, my, my reasons, it doesn't matter, but people have that right. They shouldn't be punished for it. If I lose the election, that's the consequence. You don't get to punish me if I'm the loser. If Alex Jones is wrong about Sandy Hook, that doesn't mean you sue him for other people, you know, making more of it than is necessary and, and making other people's lives miserable. People have individual autonomy. They're responsible for their own actions. The world is not just a bunch of cult leaders. Well, one of the other attendees with you was Alex Lee Moyer, the director of Alex's War, the film about Alex Jones. And she's had, I understand that that film... Alex Jones is probably the most censored person in America. He's banned from Twitter, YouTube, every social media platform. And this film and the director, Alex, has managed to nonetheless get this film about him up. I think at the moment, as time of us speaking, it's number two in the iTunes pre-sale charts, something like that, very high. And so where you were censored and had everything stripped up, this other person who was, you know, with you on that day is, is and if, not to mention John Nass, but this other director is facing into the cancellation and, and piercing through it. What, what do you account that difference? Is it a mentality difference? Is it because film is different from music? You know, I, I don't think it really has. I mean, she's, get, she's getting a lot of a lot of flack for it. I mean, just just for for doing it. You know, this because of the subject matter and that people think that it's one and the same thing. But I think that that there is, you know, among other circles, and I'm talking speaking in the corporate world, they know that like, you know, that she's not necessarily the the subject of her film. I think that she's she's been cancelled. She's had a lot of flack for it. And I think that like, you know, she's not necessarily necessarily a conservative. She was not necessarily a Trump supporter. She was just making a movie about Alex Jones, you know. And she doesn't necessarily condone what Alex Jones says or, or or stands for neither do i i mean i don't i don't support everything he says either but that's the point is that like that distinction is just seems to be lost among the greater the younger population at least or like the people that are like woke and you know doling out consequences for people's actions and, and, and doing all this social justice stuff i think with the I, I can't speak for mouse but i think that like a lot of it is uh 
is just fear. You know, I mean, I haven't heard what he's, uh, he hasn't really been public since I haven't really talked to him since then. I mean, even, even Trump supporters canceled, canceled me <laughs> in a sense. It's more than the opinions and, and the canceling is more than whatever that people say it is. I mean, it's, it's an about face. And ultimately that about face was only, only and solely by the media. I mean, like the media basically, the message went out. I was not allowed anymore. And everybody that liked me had to basically make a, make a show of disavowing me in order to still stay in their friend group and in order to not invite the wrath that I incurred, you know, because that was just the Trump stink that I got on me. And then nobody wants the Trump stink because you'll be taken down by association. This was a, a hit job. This is their going after the person. And now that he was out, I was just the, the first casualty of it, or one, one of them. I mean, but Alex was really the first casualty of this, even before Trump. Well, you are still making music, and I hope that you find an outlet for that. And I know your many fans, and I do believe you still have many fans, will eagerly anticipate music. What can we look forward to from you? Uh, a lot more of me. Yeah, unfortunately, they're gonna they're gonna have to kill me if they uh, they didn't kill me. That's unfortunately so so. Uh, and there's not much left for me to do but complain about the stuff online. So, you know, a little message to the uh, to the world out there. I could be making music and shutting up about all this stuff if you uncancel me. But I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ariel, thank you so much for your time and for talking to me. And I look forward to hearing your music when you release it. Thank you. Thank you.